Ministry Mentorship, Episode 49. Hello and welcome to this episode of Ministry Mentorship. This is Jacob Tapia and you're listening to a podcast dedicated to connecting apostolic leaders with young people for ministry development. In this podcast, we're continuing our recent interview with Pastor Terry Pugh. Uh, He's the pastor of the First United Pentecostal Church in Odessa, Texas, and this is going to be just a great continuation of this uh, interview. I want to thank all of you that have rated our podcast on iTunes. Uh, KB3PO says, great stuff. Keep up the excellent work. Uh, Hanny88 says, uh, ministrymentorship.com is a first-class resource for young ministers, from the layout to the content to the speakers. Uh, ministry mentorship is where it's at. Thank you for believing in and investing so greatly in this generation. It's a very kind uh, review. We appreciate that. Also, uh, Chosen Generation 07 says, uh, this is a great tool for young ministers and those aspiring to be in ministry. Uh, I've been blessed to listen to these podcasts for a few months now, and I love it. Every speaker is so anointed, and this has made a great impact on my life and ministry. And, And we thank you for that. Uh, review as well. Josh R38 says, a great quality podcast with engaging and challenging content. I'm an IBC graduate and a newly licensed minister, and this has been a tremendous blessing. And uh, thank you for that, Josh. We uh, appreciate that uh, comment and wish you well in your ministry. I want to just mention real quickly that uh, one of the ways that you can get involved in ministry mentorship is by leaving a comment. Uh, at the end of our posts, uh, we have a little spot at the very, if you scroll down to the bottom of the page, uh, it's, there's a place that says leave a reply. Uh, it'll ask you to use your Facebook, Twitter, Google Plus, or email to make a comment, and that will be uh, a blessing to us and help us know what you're thinking about the podcast that we're doing. So we'd love to hear from you. Also, don't forget that Uh, This coming Tuesday, we'll be having our Ministry Mentorship Bible Study. Uh, Our speaker is going to be Angela Harwood, and she will be talking about the subject of forgiveness. So you won't want to miss that. It's this Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Central Time, and uh, you can find out more information by going to our Bible Study page. Uh, In part two of this interview, we're going to be talking with Pastor Terry Pugh. Again, Brother Pugh uh, has come from a minister's home and has faced the challenges of being raised in a family where ministry is the norm, and he has a tremendous ministry to marriage and family and has a passion to help people become more effective in ministry. And this is going to be a challenge to every person uh, that wants to be more successful in ministry. And we'll also have any recommended resources and quotes uh, in the show notes of this podcast. And you can access that by going to ministrymentorship.com backslash podcast. Let's join the conversation now. When, when I got married, I came into marriage with my own set of ideas about money. And uh, sometimes those can be different. And mm-hmm. you know, maybe your family fought about money. Maybe you, they didn't worry about money. You know, and, and maybe there's somebody who's really organized and someone who's really unorganized. And But how does that impact marriage? Uh, I think when it comes to our marriage and 
and how we handle those kind of situations. And you're right, we each each individual in that marriage comes from a different culture. Uh, every every home has its own culture, and so you've got these two cultures colliding. And uh, at that point, I think we have to go back to the Bible and and say, okay, you've got your culture, I've got my culture, so what does God say hmm. about about this? And let's let's make our compromise not based on how your family did it or how my family did it, but what does the Word say we need to do? Yeah. And then try to adjust our lifestyle to fit that. And instead of me fighting your family and you fighting my family, it puts us both fighting the Word of God if we disagree with it. That's good. And, uh, mm-hmm. It creates a, a commonplace to where we can't disagree. This is what the Word says. And then we try to to, to adjust our lives to accommodate that. And that that's not easy. Uh, the Bible never has fit in any culture. It's, it, it didn't fit when it was being written. Uh, they, they were killing the people that were trying to live according to God's Word in, in the New Testament days. So it never has fit. We, we all say, well, it doesn't fit in this culture. The Word of God <laughs> never has fit. Right. <laughs> right. You know, God's kingdom and our, our world is so foreign from each other. So we can say, okay, here's, here's what the Bible says and then make our adjustments based on the, the Word of God, or find somebody who is successful uh, that is good at managing money, and at, tell them, okay, look, this is the way she does it, this is the way I do it, but obviously you've been at this longer, coach us, and let right. somebody who is successful with finances uh, coach you. And uh, it. It, it helps. Um, we had a man in our church who was a financial advisor. And, um, you know, uh, we just submitted to him uh, when it came to our money. And, and just, okay, here's... We were blessed in that both of us came from families that, that pretty well saw eye to eye. But uh, when it came to retirement and... Spending, uh, we didn't. My wife and I didn't necessarily see things exactly the same, and so we just we just sat down with uh, Jerry Gentry and just said, "Look, uh, teach us. Here's our money. Uh, what what do we need to do with it?" And he he's he's been our our coach. Uh, I'm going to be turning sixty in in a couple of months, and he's he's in his seventies, and he's still my financial coach. I was on the phone with him yesterday, uh, just just talking, uh, just just talking about finances and wow. just a couple of little things he 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 stated and said that that are helpful, and uh, so that's that's one thing we can do is find a third party that uh, is is a recognized. <clears throat> Maybe not, and they don't have to be an expert, but it's somebody we both can agree knows more about it than we do, mm. and then then let them help us work our way through some of the mind fields that, that finances can provide. Absolutely. 
That's great. And talk to us a little bit about what you feel like are are the essentials to having a, a healthy marriage. Now, I say healthy. Sometimes uh, you know we can be happy in marriage, but but are we being healthy? Well, I think that we need to recognize that just because we work for God doesn't guarantee that we're going to have a healthy marriage. Uh, just because we work for God doesn't guarantee that we're going to have a happy spouse or obedient children. These these are things that we have to create. They're just like with our finances, and you use the word deliberate, mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to a healthy marriage, that's something that we have to be deliberate about. It takes time to create a healthy marriage. It takes time and effort to create a happy spouse or obedient children and happy children and healthy children. And I'm not talking about healthy physically, but healthy in relationship with the world they live in and healthy with their response to their parents. Uh, That's something that takes time. It doesn't just happen simply because I've been called to preach. And our families are in a real tough situation because our spouses and our children uh, really do need and desire our time and our attention. They need it. They desire it. But they can't demand it. Hmm. they, They feel like if they demand my time or our time, that it is distracting us from doing God's work. And how can they compete with God for our time? And so they can't, they can't ask for our time. They can't ask for our attention because whatever time we give them is taking us away from God's work. So they're handicapped Mm -hmm. and they can't, they, they, they're in a position where they don't feel like they have the right to demand it. And so we as ministers have got to understand that our families is also the work of God. Mm-hmm. That yeah. it's not the work of God in my family. And I, when I grew up, there was this, there was the the concept, you know, God's first, the church is second, and the family is third. Well, I've got a lot of preachers friends preacher kid friends that I grew up with that are bitter people because mm. of that concept that God's first, the church is second, the family's third. And we have got to understand that the family is the work of God. And that when I am on a hunting trip with my kids, I'm doing the work of God. And I don't need to feel guilty for being with my kids. Mm-hmm because it, I'm not visiting the sick, you know, and walking on water somewhere. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> my family is the it's work good. of God. If I've got a sorry family, then I can't be an effective minister. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe people will accept me as an effective minister, but a minister whose family is messed up lives with those personal demons in their own head that they just 
the devil beats the tar out of you if you've got a, a family that's not healthy. And so it's important to your ministry to make sure your health, your family mm-hmm. is healthy. And the only way you can do that is time. You can't have a healthy family without spending time with your family. Mm-hmm. Uh, quality time. And the thing is, you know, we can use this deal with us, not that the quantity of time you spend with your family, it's the quality of time that you spend. And that's a cop-out. Mm-hmm. Because you don't get to decide what's quality time. Mm, your family decides whether this time is quality or not. Right. And where I discovered that is when my kids got up older, and we'd be sitting sitting at around a table, and they get to talking about a particular incident that happened. And I listened to them talking about this wonderful and this fun and exciting thing that happened. And the more they talked, the more I realized I was there, mm. but I don't remember it. Wow. You know, it was a it was an incident that happened that I, it wasn't important enough to me for me to, you know, put it away in my memory bank to where I always cherish that memory. But my kids remembered it, mm-hmm. and it was special to them, and I didn't even know it. And so the only way I can have quality time with my kids is I have to spend lots of time with my kids. And they pick and choose as to whether this is quality time or not. I don't get to decide whether this is quality time. They decide that. And so the only way I can give them a lot of quality time is give them a lot of time, and then they can pick all the quality time out of it they want. And so we... We've got to spend time with our families. Mm-hmm. And if you, you know, obviously, if you're a young minister, your children are young. If you want your children to enjoy being around you when they're teenagers, you've got to prove to them when they're children that you enjoy being with them as kids. And you build that relationship with them as a child. And then when they become teenagers, You've already got the relationship. Once they turn teenagers, that is not the time to start building a close relationship. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's impossible. You've got to get that done when they're three, when they're two. You lay on the floor and let them jump in the middle of your stomach and you wrestle and you play and 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 you spend time with them. You just got to spend time with them. Mm-hmm. Take them with you to the hospital. Take them with you to the church. Take them with you to the store. Spend time with them and let them be a part of your life all the time. And when they become teenagers and start trying their own wings, they'll let you be a part of the process. But you've got to, you've got to create that kind of relationship long before they ever turn their teens. So that takes time. And it's the same thing with your spouse. Uh, you've got to spend time with them. And if you've got children, that's a battle. You've got young kids that are demanding right. your time, right. wanting your time. And you've got a wife that is, uh, well, if, if you're a man, you've got a wife. And, and I understand we got, uh, you know, so I'm, your spouse mm-hmm. is devoting time to children. And we can begin to resent each other because they're devoting their time to the children and not to us. And, um, 
my wife and I just discovered that the best time for us was after we got the kids to bed and then we'd go back to the kitchen and pull out the chips and the salsa and the Cokes or popcorn or whatever. And that was our time together. Mm. And were we tired? Yes, we were tired. Uh, you can't, ha- you can't raise a family without being tired. That's just part of it. Uh, but you, we would just take, take that extra hour, hour and a half in the kitchen, eating popcorn, talking. That was our time together where we were uninterrupted and we had to make that time. And was it easy? No. Did it work every night? Did we, were we able to do that every night? No, but it's what we, that's what we shot for. And it, uh, it made a huge difference. You know, one of the things, uh, when we would get in the car to go to camp meeting or wherever we were going, if you're not careful, you spend all of that time talking about the church, uh, ironing out, you know, sister so-and-so and her familiar and what they've said, <laughs> yeah. what they've done. And, mm-hmm. and, and finally you just have to say, okay, we are not going to discuss the church the rest of the day and just, just turn, turn that off. And it's just you and your spouse, and that's it. And you, you can talk about the kids, you can talk about the future, you can talk about money, or you can not talk at all, just drive and hold hands. Uh, but we, you, you've got to, you've got to leave the church behind uh, in periods of time in your life so that you really are a husband and wife. You really are a family. And, uh, Yes, you're a pastor, but there are times you, there are a lot of times, much of the time, your family doesn't need a pastor for a dad or a husband or a wife. They need, they need a mom and dad. Hmm. They need a husband or a wife. And that's what, that's our number one priority is our family. Wow. Well, that's very challenging, Brother Pugh. And, and, you know, sometimes I, I think, and I, and I found myself doing this uh, a couple years ago where where I was just so, um, I could see immediate results. And, and things were happening, uh, you know, we're growing, we're doing this, whatever. And then I, I, my wife would tell me, you know, hey, you know, you need to, you need to spend some time with the kids. And... And I was kind of, you know, it kind of bothered me a little bit, kind of like, you know, woman, my hour has not yet come, you know, <laughs> something like. <that. laughs> but, <laughs> it, but she was, she was in tune with that, and so I think sometimes it's easy for for me, especially as a man, for me, that uh, I can look for immediate results, and a lot of times, you know, I can I can tell my kids, I don't have time for you right now. And tomorrow they're going to come up and they'll want me to, they'll love me, they'll hug on me. But if I do that consistently, something if, in the long run, we're going to suffer. You're right. It, so it, sacrificing the short term for the long term. Any comments on that? Any thoughts on that? You're right. Uh, you, the immediate results is 
especially speaking from a man's point of view, we're driven by that. Uh, accomplishing things and conquering things is is in our DNA, and we judge our our value by how successful the church is and how the church is growing, how our ministry is doing, and and we can. It's so easy to neglect our kids, and one of the things. Uh, I tried to do when my kids were growing up and now I got grandkids running around the church is when my, my boy or my, my daughter walked up to me and I was talking to a saint Mm -hmm. and they walked up to hug my leg or to show me what they made in Sunday school. I would stop talking to that adult and pick Mm. my child up. And listen to what they had to say, and it only took ten seconds. Yeah. And they were, you know, they they're children. They don't have a long attention span. They're not going to take a lot of your time on a situation mm-hmm. like that. You pick them up, they show you the picture, you make a big deal out of it, and then they start squirming to get back down, and you set them down. Mm-hmm. And do they remember that event? No, but they do. It's that accumulation of those kind of experiences that proves to them I am important to my parents. I'm important to my preacher dad. Uh, you know, they they need to know that they're special. And it also sent a message to that saint that yeah. this child is more important than you are. Mm. Uh, I think they need to know that, that I put my family ahead of them. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, I never said that. I never told them you don't count as much as my kid, but it let them know my child comes first, and it also gave them an example of hopefully they could go home and do that with their kids. Mm. Is that they they spend time and give time, even if it's only ten seconds, you give that child that little bit of time that they need, because when it's all said and done the most important opinion in the world is when you're taking your last breath, what do the people get that family gathered around your bed? What do they think of you? Hmm. That's the most important opinion there is. And it takes a lifetime to build that. Hmm. That's so good. So good. And some practical things we can, we can apply there. Now, what are some books or resources that you would recommend for young ministers? I'm, I don't feel comfortable uh, recommending a specific book, mm-hmm. and I've done that quite a bit. But a lot of times the value of a book is determined by what you happen to be going through at the time. Okay. Uh you know, whatever you're going through will determine how important a particular book is in your life. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with reading a novel. I think occasionally it's okay to read one. To if you can't go on a vacation, then sit down and read read a novel so you can you can come off of it and take a mental break. But you can't use a novel as a sermon illustration, hmm. and it doesn't it doesn't build you. It doesn't develop you. Right. And we usually use well. This novel was based on history. Well, if you if you just want to read something for the historical value, then go read a history book. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would re- highly recommend reading history. 
Uh, this is stuff that, because we're in the people business. Right. We are in the people business, and history is about people. And it's how people entered into conflict, whether it's a nation of people or whether it's a tribe of people or whether it's an individual or a family, but it's it's people. And you can use that in sermon illustrations, and it makes your sermons more informative if you've got mm-hmm. real facts to use. Uh, you can share some real facts that you've learned from the history book. Uh, your intelligent people in your church appreciate that. And so read history. I like to read biographies. The thing that amazes me in, when I read a biography is here's an individual who doesn't have any more time than I do. Hmm. And yet in their lifetime, and not in all of their lifetime, but because they still got a lot of life to live. But in a, in a period of time in their life, by the time they were 35, by the time they were 40 or 45, they were able to amass a tremendous amount of influence, whether it be through politics or whatever. How do they do that? To have 24 hours in a day, 365 days in a year, and yet they have disciplined their life and lived their life in such a way that other people want to hear what they have to say. Other people respect them because of what they've accomplished or what they've amassed in influence or in power or finances or whatever. What makes those kind of people tick? And that's what that's what really draws me to biographies. Is, you know, you, they don't normally write biographies of people who don't accomplish something. Uh, biographies are written by people who have really done something with their lives. How did they make that happen? And uh, biographies are challenging, and you learn a lot from it. And one one particular resource that I've used in the past, right now I've let my subscription uh, play out, and I need to renew my subscription, but that's the Smithsonian Institute magazine. Every month, that magazine comes to your house, and it is full of useless information. Uh <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. it, when you look at when you look mm-hmm. at all of the articles, you think I don't want to know that. Mm. But I would force myself to read those articles about stuff I didn't want to know about, and lo and behold, you know, well, I didn't know that. Now I do mm. know that, and you never know when what you are learning today is going to be necessary in the future, and. Um, I learned that piece of information from Ben Carson. I read his biography. Ben Carson was a a brain surgeon for children, and he he uh, he performed the first surgery where he separated Siamese twins, and both of them lived, and uh, and did it more than once and but he was the first one to be able to pull that off and so I was reading his biography and in his statement was his mother used to make them uh, they couldn't she she worked she worked in rich people's homes cleaning them and she realized that rich people didn't watch a lot of television they mm. read a lot of books mm. and so she came home to her kids and she wouldn't let them watch television 
she just made them read. And uh, one of the, one of the tele- they could only watch three hours a week. And one of the programs they had to watch was an old program called the $64,000 Question. And it was a program where college students were in competition about answering information. And Ben Carson, uh, as a boy, recognized that they only covered a few subjects like history and music and important people. And he, he said it was a small, you know, it wasn't a lot of subjects. It was just a, a small amount of subjects. And so he started studying to compete with the college students on television huh. and, uh, and trying to see if he could beat them. And in that process, he learned to appreciate music. And he was a, a young black boy, and he got he, he fell in love with with orchestra music. And so when he went to apply to go to college, there were three hundred applicants that was applying to enter into the medical. Uh, program of that college and he walked in and he was the first applicant there were 300 that were applying only three were going to be selected and he was the first one and when he he went in to to the interview the the guy doing the interview apologized for being a little late he said I was up late last night I went to this concert and he named the concert and Ben Carson sitting there this young black college boy or high school boy said uh i was there and the 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 guy doing the interview the professor doing the interview was shocked Hmm. that this young black man appreciated orchestra music and that he he went to the orc same orchestra that he went to the night before and he said we spent the, the, the vast majority of that hour talking about music not anything about medicine or about my my accomplishments uh, in in the previous college uh, training that I've had. We just talked about music that whole time. He said, but out of 300 people that were selected, only three were selected, and I was one of them. Hmm. He said, you never know when what you will learn today is going to come in handy in the future. And so all you can do is just learn everything you can. And... So that brings me back to the Smithsonian Institute magazine. It's full of information that I would never just set out to learn. Mm-hmm. But it sure gave me a lot of good sermon illustrations. And uh, I learned things that I, I wouldn't have done intentionally. So read things that will that will increase your knowledge. Never stop learning. Never stop learning. You always have to have to be a student. Amen. What advice can you give to a young minister that that uh, feels a call to ministry? Always seek for a closer relationship with God. We can get caught in the trap of looking for sermons, and that's not a relationship with God. Being a good preacher doesn't mean I have a close relationship with God. We need to seek to really know God. And the only way we can do that is 
pray without looking for a sermon. Just, just go, just like I need time with my wife to have a relationship with her. I need to have time with my children to have a relationship with them. If I'm going to have a relationship with God, I have to spend time with God. Mm -hmm. He and I have to have some time together where I am not trying to get a sermon out of him. I just want to be with him. And that never ends. Because no matter where I am in my relationship with God, I can always get closer. So that never ends. I need to continually be seeking to get closer with my relationship with God. That That's something that you, that you never stop. The second thing we've already touched on, and that is never stop being a student. And always read. Read continually. When you sit down in a doctor's office or sit down in a waiting room at the mechanic shop, pick up whatever magazine is there and read. Even if you're a man and, it, and all they've got is women's magazine, read the women's magazine. Learn everything you can constantly. Always read. Study. Not only read books, not only be a student of books, but we are in the people business, so be a student of people. Watch people. We have a front row seat as preachers to watch people make decisions mm -hmm. and then pay attention as to how that decision played out. What was the end result of that decision? And by watching them make decisions and either benefit or suffer from that decision, I saved myself a lot of heartache and also can save whoever wants to listen to my advice a lot of heartache because I have, I've been watching and observing people. We are in the people business and we need to be studying people. Uh, we need to, uh, because we're preachers, we are expected to lead. So we need to we need to occasionally be reading material on leadership. There was a period of time, probably about ten or fifteen years ago, where that was that was the hot topic was leadership. Mm -hmm. Everybody went to leadership seminars, and I think we've finally come to understand that just because I can fill in all the blanks at the last leadership seminar, uh, that's it doesn't always apply to what I'm facing at this very moment. And I think we kind of faded away from that. And I don't know what the new hot topic is now. We always seem to hop from one to another. But we do need to read material that helps us to be better leaders because as preachers, we are just naturally leaders. And then students, we need to study God's Word, not for sermons. Uh, but I need to study God's Word for me. I need to read it and allow it to impact me, to change me, to grow me. Uh, I need to be a student of God's Word. I'm responsible for preaching God's Word, and if I if I don't allow it to impact my life, uh, then I'm not going to be able to use it to impact anybody else's life. Hmm. So don't stop being a servant. Always seek a closer relationship with God, and never forget that you are a servant. So we strive to be a student and we never forget, never forget that you are a servant.
people in leadership. I've, from what I've watched, when an individual gets in a leadership position and whatever that position is, if they've got that position longer than five years, they will eventually figure out a way to make that organization serve their personal needs. And as we can't afford to do that. We are servants of God. And Jesus repeatedly reminded his disciples that he expected them to serve. And he, in fact, if they were going to achieve greatness, it would have to be through the act of serving others. He said, the greatest in my kingdom is the one who can serve the most people. And so we've got to always, always remember that we are servants. And uh, I think that's something that, as a preacher, we can't forget. Amen. Amen. And I wonder, in closing, if, if you could just say a prayer over that young person uh, that, that is feeling that tug to ministry. And some of the things that we've talked about, uh, whether it's family, whether it's uh, learning, whether it's serving, uh, whether it's mentors connecting with them, would you just take a minute and pray over that young person right now that God will help them in, in these areas? Dear God, what an honor it is that you would call us and that you would select us to be involved in what you're doing in the world. What a huge honor it is that out of the billions of people who live, that you pick us to serve in your kingdom in the capacity that you've asked us to do. Help us never to forget that you have honored us. But dear God, I, I know you understand that this calling presents us with challenges. It presents a young man with challenges, a young woman with challenges to be called by you because there's so many things that are unknown. And it causes us to have to operate in a realm, a spiritual realm, while living in a world that is so far from you. I pray to God that you would give every young minister, that you would give them wisdom, Give them wisdom beyond their years. Give them wisdom, dear God, to be able to experience life and recognize how that that applies to their future and that they can use that for their future. I pray, dear God, you'd give them wisdom. I pray, Savior, you'd give them direction because there's so much about working for you that's unknown. We don't know all of our future. We don't, there's so many things we don't know. So teach us and teach every young minister that that you have called. Pray, dear God, that you would help us to learn to trust you more. Help us to relax in you and understand that we don't have the full responsibility of changing the world. We can't do it ourselves. You're God and all we are is servants. Help us to relax in you and find peace 
and letting you be God in our lives and understand that you control everything. You control everything. And help us, dear Jesus, to trust you and to seek to please you only. And I pray, dear God, that you would bless their homes, that you would bless their personal lives, that you would bless their ministry. Keep your hand on them. Direct their steps and help them to know that you love them. Help them to know that you are with them. And help them to know, dear God, that you want them to do good in ministry. And you're going to do everything you can to help them with that, that they're not alone. But that you're going to guide and direct them if they will allow you to guide and direct them. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, thank you, Brother Pew, uh, for your for your uh, taking the time to uh, do this today and really feel your heartbeat and your passion and, and love for young ministers and helping uh, families. Uh, is there any way that, that you'd like to share that, that young people could get involved with, with your ministry and, and uh, anything that you have available, whether that's an online resource or books or anything like that? Brother Tapia, I I don't have an online deal. I can I can give you my email address. Uh, my email I don't check it every day, but uh, I check it probably about once a week. And when I I get an email from somebody, I'll respond, and uh, I'll be glad to share that with you. And if anybody wants to contact me, they're more than welcome. Absolutely, and 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 we'll make that available. Uh, in the show notes of this podcast. But again, Brother Pew, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor to have you. Thank you so much. It really has been an honor and a privilege to be able to speak with you. You've been listening to a Ministry Mentorship podcast with Jacob Tapia. Find out more about this resource by going to ministrymentorship.com. If you'd like to connect with our guest or find links to any recommended resources, you can find that and the information in the show notes of this podcast. Go to ministrymentorship.com backslash podcast and look for episode 49. Also, you can help us gain more visibility by liking our Facebook page and leaving us a comment or by rating this podcast on iTunes. If you're interested in donating to this ministry, uh, you can do so on our donate page. Uh, Your gift of any amount will help us continue our mission of connecting apostolic leaders with young people for ministry development. Thanks for listening, and God bless.